Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the program that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan and today we're talking about programs designed to help develop resilience in young people. My guest today is Dr. Taya Brashid, a good friend and colleague from the University of Toronto in Canada. Tayab is a clinical psychologist who has worked in well-being for a long time and makes important contributions to the field. He's the developer of strengths-based psychotherapy and his book of the same name is the most comprehensive in the field and has been translated into five languages since it was published in 2018. Tayab has an active clinical practice working with individuals experiencing complex mental health issues. He's also worked with individuals experiencing severe trauma, including families after the 9-11 disaster, survivors of the Asian tsunami of 2004, and more recently with Syrian refugee families. His work has been recognised with the Outstanding Practitioner Award from the International Positive Psychology Association in 2017 and the Chancellor's Award from the University of Toronto in 2018. Tayab, we are delighted to have you with us. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Uh, Thank you, Denise, for this opportunity. And I'm very delighted to be sharing some of the ideas that how this journey began and what it what did I learn and what still I'm learning? Okay. So take us back to 2006, um, the first published trial of strengths-based resilience, which you developed along with Jane Gillam from Swarthmore and Afros and Jom, your colleague and life partner in Toronto, who's also a school psychologist. So, Denise, uh, when I finished my postdoctoral training at Penn at University of Pennsylvania and moved to um, uh, Toronto area, I asked my s- supervisor, please give me the schools which are tough in tough neighborhoods and because I want to try out these interventions that I learned uh, and tested and tried at, uh, at Penn. Uh, we started uh, actually at our first randomized control trial was with uh, sixth graders and we found some effective and some promising results. And based on that, my supervisor said, you know, let's uh, bring it to more schools. So we started training uh, uh, mental health professionals, social workers, school psychologists, and uh, ultimately teachers. The lesson that we learned uh, from 2006 uh, until 2010 and 11 is that we did multiple rounds of training and Every almost every training and uh, and was tired with this promise that it will be delivered and it will be evaluated. Uh, it did not happen, and we. What, what got in the way? What got in the way was, I think, our misunderstanding, and we didn't understand. We we. I think it was probably, let me say, it was probably our intellectual arrogance that we, the with our doctoral degrees, with our training from Penn, have have got it, and you, the teachers or the the mental health professionals, this is the way to do it. 
and uh, the the more we did it the more failure or more missteps we had and 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 let's say if we train 200 uh, and we did actually train more than 200 uh, professionals educators and maybe less than 10 actually implemented it so you were saying you you tried a variety of routes so there was the we'll go to your administrator and make them force you to comply to teach it. We'll talk to the school superintendents. And, you know, this this route of let's make these teachers teach this program. And it didn't work. Yeah, because I think at the, we we thought that if it a top down approach will work, uh, uh, because we are school and the school board is investing a lot of resources, and if they are investing those resources, and the principal is on board, superintendent is on board, why wouldn't happen? But it did not happen. <laughs> so what was what was the thing that finally turned things around? I think the finally the turn thing around was that we were missing the the connection with the teacher, the relationship with the teacher. And because if you want to disseminate anything, uh, the the person who is delivering it in front standing in front of twenty twenty more than twenty five sometimes uh, students from diverse background with diverse abilities with diverse behaviors they know their class best so we were outsiders and we were imposing our uh, sort of uh, almost uh, intellectual values and ideas upon them so what uh, once we realized we heavily started consulting with them uh, in a very rigorous way so fortunately, uh, um, a couple of years later, uh, we got uh, a grant, and and the the premise of the grant was to train mental health and educators in high school, as mm-hmm. well as in post secondary. So with the with the help of the grant, we had enough resources to start con- a process of a very extensive process of consultation, where we rather than one day training we t- expanded the training into three days mm-hmm. so for example if we're teaching a uh, growth mindset or character strengths we will teach the core concepts uh, in a very didactic way but then we'll in, very soon it followed up with an experiential exercise for teachers as it is as they are experiencing it as they would experience it and then give them uh, some ideas about how uh, it can be adapted to different uh, students with different learning style, different cultural backgrounds. Um, and what are the a- applications? Uh, what What is the benefit for it of this topic for students in everyday life? So we did all of that through a very comprehensive manual. But I think the next step was probably the most important step. We gave them... Um, a, a feedback form, an open-ended feedback form, and I say we said, "What are your ideas?" Now you, this is the lay of the of the lesson, uh, layout of the lesson. How would you teach it? And they took some time. We did not rush the process. They took some time, wrote the ideas, and then we discussed as a larger group. That gave them the empowerment. That gave them the buy-in. That okay. This is the idea. I know. I understand this, but this is how I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to teach it. So we, rather than we becoming the expert, we made them the expert. And presumably, also in that group where you have 
a group of teachers sharing their teaching ideas, there's got to be a lot of cross-fertilization and learning just from that alone. Exactly. So what happened is when the teachers and educators were discussing in the large debrief um, session, we we were running a, um, on screen. Uh, we had a, a graduate student who was taking all the notes and they were seeing all the ideas uh, being typed in front of them on a projective screen. So the, everyone's ideas were being... Um, so it was a, it was a co-creation. It was a curation of ideas by, uh, in every session, I think we had more than uh, uh, 50 uh, educators and teachers. So you have the all these ideas. And then we went another process because there's too many ideas. So we did a more sort of a thematic analysis and the ideas which converged, we put them into themes. So it doesn't become so overwhelming that they say, oh, there's so many diverse ideas that you, the, the run that, the, the risk that you run is the fidelity of the program, the fidelity of the exercise is, uh, or, or the it's idea lost. is yeah. lost. So it's not too diverse, but it's not too rigid. It's need to find a sweet uh, balance in mm. between. Mm. Tab, I'm really interested in this because one of the things that's been coming through in a lot of work we've been doing in schools is is just this point of the process matters. It's not just about pouring information from one bucket into another, whether that's the curriculum developer or the teacher or the student. That And that process matters for teachers and that... Um, in this work on well-being, it's important to recognize the teacher as, well, for their own individual well-being, but also as a professional who needs autonomy and professional development and that nurturing that's an important part of school well-being. Absolutely. The biggest lesson that we learn from uh, from this process is uh, uh, the the teachers have so many wonderful ideas. And even if the idea is redundant at times, just having them the space uh, and opportunity to express that idea mm. buys the collaboration. You know, Denise, every one of us want to be heard. Every one of us want their ideas to be valued in some one way or the other. And when we are working in a complex educational system where it's wonderful uh, individual with wonderful uh, and many uh, types of diversity, uh, diverse uh, expertise, it is incumbent that we, we build in a process which is inclusive, which is respectful, and which draws on everyone's strengths. And so that no one feels left out. Um, I'm st- I still believe this is this is a work in progress, mm-hmm. and uh, we can improve it. Uh, but I think even if it's a long uh, process, it takes longer time than you know. It's just not a one day state workshop of that you have. This is a handout how you do it. Uh, I believe. Um, as the as we are learning in many other domains, uh, the slow food movement, uh, and we are slowing. We are learning that slowing down is important. Uh, 
uh, slowing down the training is also important. I love this. That and, and I guess, you know, if you're listening as a school out there and hoping you're going to implement things really quickly and make change, the message is even even on the thing that you think you might do quickly, right, we'll buy a curriculum and teachers can teach it. This is a really rigorous, well thought through and developed curriculum. And what the developers are saying is... Um, even with this, you need to think about how will you apply it in your context? How will you ensure it's culturally responsive? How will you make it your own, have your own sense of autonomy and agency to deliver this in the way that's going to connect you to your students? Uh, absolutely. And I cannot uh, overemphasize on this point that uh, unless we make everyone include in the circle of learning and include us in this circle of where everyone would benefit and most importantly our students and, and our teachers, uh, we will do disservice because, you know, there are so many wonderful ideas. The ideas are ideas. People bring them, uh, people bring them to life, but people bring them to life when they hold each other's hand. So it's the, it's the hand-holding, it's the sharing of ideas uh, is so important and so crucial. Mm. Which brings us to sort of the, the idea of what's the pond like? If, if you want your school to be an environment where it is easier for people to share ideas, where there's an easy, um, trusting, relaxed kind of environment that people are willing to put their hand up and share things, that actually that building that environment is an important part of this process, isn't it? It is so important. So um, there's a bit of a work that we needed to do, uh, and that is uh, work with administrators as well, uh, school principals, um, vice principal, uh, and uh, team leads of different variations that uh, uh, you need to also give teachers the resources, the support, so that they want the way they want to do it it's absolutely uh, necessary that they feel uh, the autonomy i'll give you a very concrete example one of the teacher uh, in high school it's an art based school high school in toronto um she said i love the program but there are so many things in in my curriculum on my plate that i cannot teach it uh, all of it. I'm only going to teach one lesson and it's going to be strengths. And uh, since, and and we said, sure, we were we did not uh, include them into the uh, research uh, protocol because it was the program we also have to be, we were also responsible to ministry with the out specific outcomes. But we fully supported that at the end of the year, the teacher sent us how students understood strengths through their artwork, uh, through digital uh, graphics and photographs and art display. And, and I have, I mean, this is a podcast I cannot show you, but I have the illustrations and those were some of the most moving illustrations that students and the, how they understood the, the concept of gratitude. And there's no word in these. But you still, you feel that, yes, they got it. Mm. Uh, or that the, the picture is speaking about it. So, but that, again, let me also end on this point. 
that is just one approach, Denise. There are so many other ways uh, of teaching uh, and delivering, of disseminating well-being programs. I also want to, underst uh, want to underscore that this is this is our process. We respect uh, many many other processes which could be different from ours, uh, because. Uh, <laughs> The beauty of this world is this world is diverse. In some schools, the doors aren't all open. And it's much better to go through the door that is open than to bang your head against the closed doors, to do what's possible. So if there's only an opening to do one thing, to mm -hmm. do strengths in art, mm -hmm. that you can actually take a narrow sliver and go deep. The school a younger son is attending has been experiencing bullying issues. So, uh, and they knew that uh, that um, my partner, my wife, is a school psychologist. And uh, so they said, is there anything, any advice that you could do? So we, rather than giving an advice, we brought uh, as, uh, an artist because we have worked, we have known her, her work. Um, and the and unfortunately, some of the uh, the uh, students who experienced bullying on the receiving end were uh, from diverse um, uh, racial and and uh, religious background. So um, w this this artist uh, has is in one of the amazing artists in Islamic illuminations, and we explained her the idea. And uh, she understood it and she said, look, I will do it for you. We both took time off from our work. We went and we did back-to-back -back workshops. And these workshops, the students in the class, uh, uh, the, the, the artists led them step by step. Um, how uh, a, a geometric Islamic illumination design uh, using um, watercolors. And once they made the design um, uh, on a on a Bristol boat, um, a week or two a week later, they these were stuck on uh, 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 ceramic tile with a specific glue. Then and then one of the teachers put all the designs together, and then they and then she displayed and then explained the theme. When all the pieces came together. This was called Breath of Compassion. And I think, again, there's no protocol. There's no program that we're leading. But we are using the strengths, creativity, the relationship. And rather than naming anyone. And then she followed up with some very concrete idea that how can we be more compassionate and kind to each other? The, 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 yes, this was not just an odd exercise. The theme, the motive behind was that how we, when we hold each other's hand and each other's perspective and understand where one is coming from, the same pattern was made differently by different student. So the same reality, the same experience could be become, uh, could be experienced differently by different students. So it helped students to understand that where one person who may look uh, different in different ways uh, might be coming, where they might be coming from. Mm. And that is again, psychological intervention. But now we are using their strengths and very concrete displays. In this work that you've been doing, you know, I'm thinking about 
the various contributions that you have made, the different work you've been involved with, the range of schools you've seen. Are there particular well-being models you've seen working or is it the adaptations of them to context? What have you seen in that range? I used to believe that uh, having a model is a good thing and I still to some extent, um, but I'm not rigidly uh, attached to any one model because um, we are living in a very diverse, urbanized uh, centers, most of us uh, around the world, whether it be Christchurch or Toronto or New York. Um, so no one model is going to be adequately uh, uh, adequate to explain or to help everyone in in mm, to in excite the and engage and be relevant. Yeah. Absolutely. So so I think, uh, but it's also very important to have a good foundational knowledge of a model. For example, for me. Uh, and in my early years of um, doctoral training, I came to understand uh, the VS Strengths model, which is 24 strengths clustered in six um, uh, pillars. And uh, that has helped me to understand, to appreciate that work by Chris Peterson and Marty Seligman. Uh, but also, I have started thinking the strengths beyond VIA that there are human strengths in human cultures and human interactions that are beyond via which which are not captured by the model so using a model having information having uh, empirical evidence knowing that it is it is based on science is important is crucial but to an extent mm. what's the one thing that you would really like to see parents or teachers doing that you believe would make the biggest difference to young people's well-being and resilience? Difficult question, Denise, and I will have a very inadequate answer, but in my view, the the world that we are living in, uh, the biggest problem or biggest affliction that our young people are facing is loneliness. They feel lonely and uh, Although they may, it uh, paradoxically, it may appear they are connected digitally on social media, uh, but uh, Facebook cannot give you a hug. It cannot shake your hand. Uh, so no matter how many likes you have, the real face-to-face, heart-to-heart, uh, eye-to-eye contact, the, the resonance which mm. Barbara Ferguson talks about, Uh, cannot um, come digitally or virtually. So one intervention that I could, if I I may, um, building social, building positive social relationships, um, if we can teach through any form or way or shape um, between a teacher and a student, between students, between parents and, uh, and 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 children, and between peers, between teachers and administrators, between so building relationships um, uh, is so important, 
And you and I are fortunate that we have um, uh, some literacy that uh, those uh, the ingredients for building those positive relationship are um, can be a better candidate for building those relationship are strengths rather than deficits. Mm -hmm. So if we tap onto each other's strengths and uh, build those uh, by celebrating by spotting by accentuating uh, by uh, coalescing by uh, cooperating uh, the strengths of each other um, we will we will do tons of good to this world I was listening to Jonathan Haidt last week in Melbourne at the World Congress on Positive Psychology, and he was talking about um, the problems that we're having from, you know, such high use of social media by our young people. And he he was saying, what would Chris Peterson, noted positive psychology researcher Chris Peterson, what would Chris say if he was here? And kind of channeling Chris, he, he said, I think he'd say, other people matter. And we need to prioritize that we're actually focusing on and spending time with the people who matter most with us when we're with them. Yeah. And not ignoring them and being on our phones. Yeah. You know, and, and I love that as a really simple strategy. Um, where's your attention? Is it on your phone or with the people who actually matter to you who are in the room? That's such a, such an important point. Now, research is now uh, cutting edge research. Latest research is showing that actually the the social interaction, the time has not significantly decreased. It's the quality. You are still in the same space, sharing the same space, and it looks like that you are there. But what I'm now seeing in 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 my students, uh, the, the work, is the uh, as the conversation has become very superficial. They, they don't deepen because the moment they become there's opportunity to, to deepen the conversation. There's a blink notification and they say, "Give me a minute. Can I just attend this?" Uh, or any way, any any opportunity young people find uh, just to hold their handheld device and quickly send a message. Now, when you do that, it's a disruption in the eye contact. It's a disruption in conversation. That, that uh, the resonance, that connection, that micro moment of connection by Robert has broken. Mm. So it needs uninterrupted to build the built uh, well-being in our schools and in our society. We need heart-to-heart, face-to-face, eye-to-eye connection. And this is not my word. Mm. This is actually her words. Um, not a lot, but at least some. This the, we need a dosage, a healthy dosage of that on daily basis. Lovely, lovely. And following on from that, if you could only do one thing for the rest of your life to improve well-being for everyone, what would it be? Uh, uh, it's very difficult. Mm, but if you had to come down to one thing. I think uh, I have been moving more towards um, uh, meaning. Mm-hmm. That how we create uh, meaning and uh, the meaning actually a big part of meaning comes from relationships mm-hmm. because meaning is doing something be for others beyond yourself. It is attaching yourself to a cause. We need more good team players 
working towards a cause, mm-hmm. working towards a meaning. And uh, I am very delighted uh, that uh, we are, I'm not pessimistic about it. I'm seeing in the millennials, uh, uh, they, yes, they may be digitally uh, very savvy and attuned to, to their devices, but they are also <coughs> very much, very ambitious to do better in the world. And they are not uh, uh, oftentimes uh, hesitant to hold us accountable. Mm-hmm. So if we can support them, we, the baby boomers, the, the, the generation who is going to pass the baton. Uh, so I would like to pass this baton. One thing that I could do with them is to your well-being and your uh, happiness your, uh, is going to come by doing something meaningful for you, mm-hmm. but for the world. Lovely. When you do for the world, it will do tons of good to you. What's your go-to strategy when you get frustrated or down? What's your go-to that helps you to cope and bring you back up? Uh, my go-to strategy is to, a, um, as much as we have discussed about the importance of uh, connecting with others, is to also reflect and connect with myself. Is You need, for a healthy self of being, you need a lot of time with others, but also time with yourself. Because if we lose this, this wonderful capacity that we have been given by nature of reflection and introspection, I think it's important on a regular basis, have some time with yourself and reflect that uh, what you are doing how is it meaningful? Coming back to meaning, how it's helping you, how it's helping others, because that reflection will help you. And if you, let's say, if you cannot sometimes get that reflection, I would say find someone, one, just one person in the world whom you trust, who would listen to you and who is not afraid to give you uh, constructive, honest feedback. In my head, jumping back round to what you said about loneliness, because Emma Woodward, clinical director for NZIWR, she does a lot of work on anxiety and depression in um, in young people. And her belief is that one of the big ills of excessive use of smartphones for social media is that young people have not learned how to be alone with themselves. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think it's that there's a there's a lovely direction in there that one of the ways to deal with the loneliness and the the anxiety that we're generating by excessive use of social media for for not just for young people, but for us as well, is to switch off the phone Mm -hmm. and be alone with yourself. It's a friend to yourself for a couple of minutes. I think we need to uh, find some <laughs> interventions so this disconnect anxiety mm-hmm. is, you know, mitigated and have people um, sometimes, and, and I learned this from our indigenous uh, brothers and, and sisters in, in, uh, in Canada. They actually, when they want to connect with themselves, they go to nature. Mm. So one wonderful way to be lonely is uh, to go to nature and let nature uh, reveal itself or reveal something in you. Mm. 
so, so the, the dialogue will open up. Lovely. Tayab, it's been a real treat to get to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being with us. It's my pleasure and thank you always. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to learn more, our book, The Educator's Guide to Whole School Wellbeing, is available from nziwr.co.nz from early 2020. You can also listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz, on nziwr.co.nz, and you can also subscribe to Apple Podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the latest research and practice in school well-being, join us at the Wellbeing in Education Conference in Christchurch from the 2nd to the 4th of April and Auckland from the 6th to the 7th of April 2020. For more information, go to nziwr.co.nz or conference.co.nz forward slash wenz20. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.